Patrick's Day, everyone. I really wish we'd planned this a little bit better so we could have done a, like, themed movie. Uh, well, if we want to, we can get into well, uh, my thing. Well, we'll... we'll uh, you'll probably... Tongue-tie number one. Uh, probably have you bring up at least that a little bit uh, mm. at the end of the show. Sure. Um, just real quick, a couple announcements. Uh, I have started a Days Gone Let's Play. Uh, if you guys haven't checked that out, please do. It's a pretty cool open-world zombie biker game. Um, episode 3 will be out tomorrow, and then next time I get some time to record, I'll post uh, another episode. So, Milton, what are we talking about uh, today before before we get into news? What are we I don't know, about? man. What are we talking about? I think we're talking about okay. In the Mouth of Madness <laughs> and uh, Village of the Damned. That's right. But first, yeah. as always, it's news time. Milton, what do you got? In the news, in the news, in the news. And in the news. Um, so a recent um, statement was made uh, by John Carpenter himself saying that the Fog 2 is an early development. And I, for one, am very excited. Said not me. Said me. I don't know. I... I mean, for those who actually like the the original Fog, this is probably great news for them. For me, I guess I'm a bit cautious about it. Hopefully, there's a lot of stuff that he's done, a lot of stuff that he's learned since then. So hopefully, this would be a better sequel than the original, in my opinion. Or in general, we would hope that it's a better sequel anyway. Um, but yeah, some of some of the uh, quotes here. Um, a lot, a lot of the article just restates about essentially what John Carpenter has made because a lot of people in you know the public eye don't know him by name, and of course it sets you know the fog is set in a coastal Californian town blah 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 blah. He says there's been talk of a sequel to the fog. There's been talk of sequels for a bunch of my movies. They just haven't happened yet because of various reasons. But yeah, we've talked about them and I'm open to them. Um. So it seems like it could be something that could happen. Cool. If not, oh well. At least, hopefully, it seems like John Carpenter is at least open to the idea of making movies again. And that, honestly, is what I'm more hopeful for than anything in particular with a sequel. Because I would be fine with just about anything. Unless it's another Halloween thing. I think you should branch out from that. But well, well hold off on saying that until we get to next week and, and you watch... Sure. What are, from what I understand, are two of his worst movies? <laughs> well, sure, I there there was that too, but um, but no, I was, mean, in all seriousness, yeah. sorry, and sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I would be down for him directing another movie. Yeah. Um, I just hope it's the right script. Yeah, I would hope so too. Yeah, he, it's something he has to be passionate about, which is some, which is stuff that for the most part he's done so far. Of course, most of his passion recently has just been with doing music. Because at least that he's not going to get reamed by audiences unnecessarily because they don't understand what he's doing. So You heard it here, folks. Next uh, next John Carpenter movie is going to be a musical. Um, but no, I mean, I can't immediately get excited for a sequel to The Fog. Uh, especially what, it's now 40 years later. Yeah. I would watch a remake. I mean, I know we did one in the 2000s, but I think you could remake it now and it'd be better. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it was remade in the 
in 2005. I, I still have to I'm see just, it. Um, just but, yeah. Yeah, sorry, you're right. No, you're fine. I'm just no, it's like I just blanked out for whatever reason. But um, I don't know how you can make a sequel to The Fog. I don't know how you could because based on the story, it kind of just ends. The curse is lifted. I don't get. I don't get what they could do afterwards because it's like the ghost order peas now. Okay, so here's the problem with that: is you're expecting them to have any kind of artistic integrity. I know. I know. There's John Carpenter literally blows Michael Myers up and Loomis at the same time at the end of Halloween two. And they made four more films. Sure. I'm talking about Carpenter specifically. <laughs> was Carpenter involved in the Halloween sequels? Just two and three. But three yeah. is its own weird thing. I suppose there's always room for more of that sort of thing. I wonder why you wouldn't want The Fog specifically to have a sequel. Yeah. You could do something with it, I guess. But I feel like it would just detract from the original too much. Well, and there's a whole bunch of films that of his that have been talked about getting sequels or remades. Yeah. Like Blumhouse wants to do the thing. Um, Blumhouse will be Blumhouse anyway. So certain portions of Blumhouse will be Blumhouse. I'll say that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, just to keep mo- things moving along, my first article isn't my, isn't <clears throat> isn't a lot, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Uh, I have two just because the second one's not really news, but it kind of fits with this being St. Patrick's Day. Uh, mm-hmm. The first one is we've confirmed that the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie will be a sequel to the original, mm-hmm. featuring old man Leatherface, because that's what we all want to see as our slasher icons get old. They get more horrifying, certainly. <laughs> now, I, I'm giving this film the benefit of a doubt because it is directed by, and I'm going to butcher this guy's name, but Feldre Alvarez, who did the yes. Evil Dead remake, which is quite good. Uh, and he did Don't Breathe, which was also quite good. So if he can keep that kind of gritty, realistic feel that he really perfected in those movies. Well, Evil Dead, he makes it as realistic as you can make a movie about people getting possessed and like mutilating themselves. But the gritty feel, that's perfect for a Texas Chainsaw movie. Um but uh, it's got me it's got me like eh, I don't know about old man leatherface I, that's about as in, I mean like you can make that work cuz now we've got old man michael myers and like that movie was really good but you know eh. oh it doesn't the thing is of course about these slashers is that for the most part they seem immortal so i feel like the attack that you could tack on age to them might detract from them at the same time, some necessarily don't have to be, and some could, I guess, make a legacy or something like that. And it depends on how well you execute it. Yeah. Well, Old Man and, Leatherface could be horrifying, and that could work. And I want to do a slasher month at some point, because if anybody doesn't know, slashers are my go-to genre of horror. Not all of, Almost none of them are good films, but it's like comfort food. You know, you just you put it on, and it's fun, and... You, like Jason this, X, right? Like Jason X. You have fun for an hour and a half, and then you, you move on with your life. Uh, but the or biggest mistake that... Jason or... But, uh, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, those are all just people. Like, it... Because that first movie is barely a slacker, but it was kind of like the pioneering of that genre. More like a so SAR. I'm sorry? More like a SAR. <laughs> 
or sign. Yeah. Um, so, like, he's just a guy. Michael Myers is he's supposed to be the boogeyman, but that franchise can never decide how much of a supernatural creature he is and how much of just a guy he is. Mostly because there's, like, four different timelines. Whereas, like, Jason and Freddy, you could, in theory, now I'm not saying I want this, you could keep bringing them back in forever and forever because they are, by definition, supernatural beings. But I don't know. I will. I will wait and see. Uh, you know my catchphrase on this po- podcast. I'm cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. But the other news article, and this one is slightly more, just more relevant to the date today, is. Uh, Bloody Disgusting has put out an article of Leprechaun sequels that almost happened. <laughs> With the the headlining one, headlining one being Leprechaun versus Candyman. Mm. I cannot imagine a world where that movie is made, but I kind of want to see it. Yeah, it's like high art, kind of like high art horror versus whatever the heck a Leprechaun is trying to be. <laughs> Uh, some of the other ones that they mention is Leprechaun in the White House, um, Leprechaun in the Old West, uh, Warwick Davis had a Leprechaun pitch, uh, where he would have, like, a wife and kids and etc. Apparently he was gonna meet the Wishmaster. Mm-hmm. They wanted to do a sequel to that really shitty reboot they did a few years ago. Uh, that, that reboot is super interesting and only in the fact that you take a series that is built on being campy. Like the director and the writers know that a killer leprechaun is a stupid idea and they play with it. And WWE was like, no, we're going to make it a gritty slacker. He's not going to say any dialogue and it's going to be the most boring movie ever made. What what do you think uh, about any of those proposed sequels? Vampircon sounds a bit. That sounds so horrible that it would be fascinating to watch. Watch Leprechaun in space. It's. I. Thing is, is that sometimes yeah, you're right. It's comfort food, so it's like whatever crazy concept you want to go. So long as it always ups the intensity of the crazy idea that it's doing. If there's a market for it, if there's an audience for it, sure. Why not? I um I'm not sure if I would be into it specifically. There's so many other horror movies to watch. Maybe give some other smaller projects or some up and comer new IPs some you know, some time in the in the spotlight. Um I don't really think anyone would have the expectation that another Leprechaun movie would be good. Exactly. You would probably have to find someone who would just who would just be really, really invested in this, wanted to construct the idea, but still make it fun. Well, see, it's interesting you say that because I think I posted this in our in our group chat. Yeah. Uh, but Darren Lynn Bozeman, who directed Repo, uh, mm-hmm. expressed interest in after finishing the new Saw movie because we got to make number nine. Right. Uh, that he so would love to make something. Speaking of franchises that never die, apparently. and I love the Saw movies, but like they had a, cl- they ended, like it's done, stop. Uh, but he tweeted out to Lionsgate that he would love to do something with that property. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw the, I saw the thing. Yeah, if, um, I guess do you want to, do you want to read it out or would you like me to read it out? Because I think, go ahead. Okay, yeah, 
So uh, Darren Bozeman, so lines, so at Lionscape, if Spiral is a success, can we talk about finally letting me have the Leprechaun franchise and trying a little something, something with it? Just saying, in parentheses, for the last 10 years. Love you. I would imagine that's how we probably want to deliver that. Um, uh, no, I didn't love that movie, even though it's like tailor-made for me, but I agree it is worth a watch just because that movie is batshit crazy. Like, the like resurrection scene for that movie is him bursting out of a guy's dick. <laughs> like, yeah, that movie wanna... knows it, knows what it is, and it had like a $2 budget because all of those sequels were straight to DVD in the 90s. VHS? I know, you said DVD. You said DVD. Uh, It'd be straight to VHS, because that was mid-early 90s. Could have been in DVD, perhaps, if they were early adopters, but more than likely, it was probably VHS. At least for the majority of them. I'm just so used to saying straight to DVD. (laughs) Alright, so, I think that about covers it for news this week. I hope everybody had a great uh, St. Patrick's Day. So, Milton, I don't know about you, but I think it might be easier to start with Village of the Damned, because that is a much more straightforward film. Sure. Um, What did you think of Village of the Damned? I liked it. I really did. And not just because we saw the uh, the original Marky Mark. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure if it's a cardinal sin to call him Marky Mark, but... uh... (laughs) Yeah, nowadays it's straight to Netflix. Um... Yeah. But yeah, Village of the Damned, um, I guess a quick summary of the story, is an an idyllic uh, small, probably Midwestern town. I'm pretty sure it's Midwest. Um, This town, idyllic, peaceful, everybody's happy, you know, doing what they do. And then a looming shadow falls over. Everybody within a certain bounds essentially is knocked out, and the women knocked up. And eventually, all the women in the town who are capable of doing so bear these strange children who are super intelligent, but almost having no sense of empathy or any sort of feeling just at all. They only regard themselves in terms of survival and other people, and pretty much everyone else is a threat or used. And it is eventually revealed... Bum, bum, bum. There are aliens! Ah! Was yeah. that revealed? I must have missed that. Um, it basically, aliens came in and essentially and they put in their DNA. So it was, it, was like, um, it was like a molding of humans and aliens to the point where, although they would still resemble the, those who gave birth, the major DNA portions would come from the hosts that came in. So it's okay. it's a so it's aliens. Um, we have the major players of Christopher Reeves, and we also have Mark Hamill. That's why I say Marky Mark, just as a joke. Um, oh, okay. I yeah. I thought you legitimately meant that um, Mark Wahlberg was in this movie, and I was no, like, I don't remember no, seeing Mark no. Wahlberg in this movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was That's like, what I was wait, <laughs> what? And eventually. Uh, Christopher Reeves has to unlock his inner Superman and battle these alien children while one eventually manages to realize some humanity. 
See, I, I find it funny that you say his inner Superman, considering how he deals with them. Yeah. Um, Self-sacrificial, but yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, but he still, spoilers, murders all of them but one. Well, I mean, to be fair, to be fair. To be fair, they absolutely deserved it because they were all monsters. I just found the Superman comparison funny because of the way he yeah. deals with them. Sure. I, so I went to, when I went to bed after watching this, I was very conflicted. I am leaning on the side of I did not like this movie. Um, and most of it, I don't know if it's an issue with the film or just an issue with my taste in film. I feel like this is the most distilled Carpenter, good and bad. None of the people in this town are ever developed to a point that I give a shit about any of them, except maybe Reeves. I forgot Mark Hamill was in this movie until he showed back up with the shotgun and killed himself. That was not a shotgun, by the way. Or a sniper rifle. That's how little he was in the movie. I don't even remember it. He had Um, some some moments. He disappears, like, right after the birth, and then just shows back up with a sniper rifle, and I don't know what he's doing. Well, I should let you continue with your thoughts first before Uh, I interject so much. I don't understand why that one kid had seemingly evolved empathy when none of the others had, considering that they spent all of their time together. And those kids never even seemed normal to me. Now, this isn't a huge complaint because I can understand that the ki- the parents were afraid of their kids, at least somewhat. But if my kid starts talking to me like these kids talk to their parents, I'm going to be disturbed and think something's wrong with them. And also, those silver some of those kids had to be wearing wigs because none of those those kids' hair looked real at all. Again, minor nitpick, not actually a problem with the film. Um, just, you know, being a little little uh, nitpicky. Um, uh, okay, so I'm going to start interjecting. Okay, did you actually think that any of those hair w- was supposed to be natural on a kid? Do you think any kid well, comes no, out but, with hair like that? <laughs> no, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying they should, but it's the movie's job to make me believe that it is. That's fair. I understand that. And all those kids, well, the boys more so looked like that could be their natural hair color. Obviously, it's not, but it didn't look as much like a wig. But I thought all the girls that had, like, the long hair, that's where it started to look really bad. Sometimes there was that there. It's hard to pull it off, especially on a kid. But I will give this point movie points for the tension was well done. It's Carpenter. That's what he's good at. Um, the, The... autopsy scene with uh what's her name kirsty the main doctor lady that comes uh kirsty alley yeah when they make her like cut herself up dr susan verner yeah when they make her cut herself up that was great um also did you recognize the janitor uh yeah shoot what is his um I knew I recognized him for something, but I can't remember. He is he is the guy in They Live that starts out at yeah, the... Yeah, you're right. You're right. I recognize him. Because remember when we did the They Live, so I was like, that's the guy from Wishmaster. Now that I've seen him and stuff, he just keeps popping up in other stuff. It's great. Yeah. It but good. yeah, I, I thought overall this was a very weak effort from Carpenter. Uh, maybe not even on his side. Like, the directing is fine. 
for the most part, it's it's kind of like typical Carpenter. But like I don't know, the stuff I was interested in this movie just wasn't in that movie. Well, you, you say distilled. I'm not sure if I would quite agree. I understand that perhaps some of the some of the uh, the concepts are a bit simple. Um, we're we're doing a similar thing to what he did with the thing, because this is a remake of a film in 1960. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a simple concept that he is basically doing a remake of. He does a bit less in playing with this than he does with the thing. But but I don't think that necessarily changing too many of these ideas is a bad thing. Um, I reckon, I guess I was a bit, we kind of have an interesting dynamic going because I think you noticed a lot more about In the Mouth of Madness than I did. And now I think I might have noticed a bit more about this movie than you did. And that's possible. Um, yeah. Um, Mark Hamill, for instance, he's not just present for the birth. He's also present for, uh, he also, does, you see him do a baptism. You see him actually gradually start in, in some of these sermons that he makes is actually slowly showing that he's basically in a way becoming a bit more unhinged because he's just disturbed with like where his child is at. Um, you say you didn't um, empathize so many with the characters except for Reeves. At least they're, I'm sorry, not Reeves, Reeve. My bad. My bad. Everybody who, uh, you know, really has a soft spot for that. Actor. Don't, don't unsubscribe. It was just a mistake. It won't happen again. Christopher Reeve, um, he does a good job. I think we can all look at that. Um, His wife, certainly. His wife was certainly disturbed that sort of thing pretty quickly to the point where she was targeted very early on, and that's one of the reasons why she's killed off pretty pretty early on in the movie. Um, um, Susan Verner? Um, played by Chrissy Alley. I thought she was an interesting character because I think we got we got an understandable element to where she's present enough but not so intrusive. Because it we kind of do as a thing where by the point she realizes what's wrong, she also believes that it's too late. Because that's the kind of character that she is. And I think it's pretty well I think it's pretty well shown and pretty well developed. Um Linda, I can understand how people might have some issues with Linda to a certain degree. Which um, one is I that? Mean, I mean, sorry, sorry, Jill McGowan, played by Linda Kozlowski. Um, basically, the, the widow becomes the mother of David. Oh, okay. They, David, who is, by the way, like the good one out of the bunch, because we actually get some moments alone with him and Reeve, and a little bit, and a little bit with Linda as well. Because he he actually actively questions what is empathy, and from there understands some value. Because he sees early on how certain people re- will react when people seemingly have no empathy. Because we get into where um, I forget I forget the name of the character, but uh, the Virgin Girl who gives birth was that the one that? Because I'm also really bad. She was the one who was drinking at the grave. Okay, yeah. I'm really bad with names in any movie. Like, Dawn of the Dead is one of my favorite movies of all time. Can't tell you any of the characters' names other than Flyboy, because he's got a nickname. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, So, with that lack of empathy kind of thing, so we do get some development on there with him. Isn't it enough? That's debatable. But I think, but there is at least something. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I would, if I would remake it, I perhaps give a bit more of a focus to that, like a little bit more. I think um, Jill McGowan's character, she's okay. Um, we get certain portions in there where certain pe people will like her character a bit. Um, I don't know. Some portions of her were weak. Other people, now, I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. I do just want to throw um, this disclaimer out there for people who end up listening to this on Spotify or on here. Yeah. I've only watched this movie once. I was really tired. Uh, I had fell and hurt my knee, so I was like in a bad mood. So that's that. those are oh, all sure. factors that might have influ influenced my take on this movie because like at the end i was like just, i want to end it and go to bed like i'm done with today yeah. plus so, i watched this or, right after in the mouth of madness which i think is carpenter's best film we'll get into mm -hmm. that here in a little bit so maybe at some point i will rewatch this and if i have a different take i will happily do a revisit maybe just a quick 10 minute revisit uh if nick milton wants to be there he can but this, the opinions that I'm stating here are just based on this first viewing of the film. Sure. And it's the same with me. It's the same with what we've done with a lot of these movies. Um, we're always subject to like changing opinions. Some movies that we felt were good, we might sour on a little bit later. Some might improve. Um, it all just depends on things. Sorry you got hurt, by the way. That that sucks. Um, uh, it happens. But yeah, but yeah, I think like I wasn't in the quite the right mindset for for the next movie that we're going into, which is a shame. Which I think I might just look at that too later, just to see what I might have missed. Yeah, but, for, um, yeah. For example, uh, while you organize your your thoughts there, when we watched Prince of Darkness, that went from my one of my least favorite Carpenter films to one of my favorite. Yeah, uh, definitely. Quite a few of these films do improve upon a rewatch. Because there's there's more stuff that you notice that you didn't notice before. Which is but I will say this is a movie you could remake again, because sure. that age old nature versus nurture thing. Um, this movie is like the prime candidate to tackle that, right? I would say so. Yeah, this is this is probably the best movie that doesn't revolve so much around time period kind of things. Because we have a lot of other John Carpenter movies where some of these things are kind of time-locked to a certain degree. And this one works well to the point where you could you could remake this even now. It could still work. Yeah. So Maybe even put in Mark Hamill again, I guess, if you want to. He can I don't be, think they will, but <laughs> that would be he, he can be the uh, Kirstie Allen character. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he would. Crazy how many like big names are in this movie, though. Yeah, that's yeah. We get um, yeah, we have Superman. We have Luke Skywalker. Um, we have. I think, oh yeah, Thomas Decker is in this movie too. He, he's a uh, he was one of the kids. Oh okay. Um, yeah. And I mean, like Kirstie Allen was in Star Trek. Yeah. Who does she? Uh, who does she play again? I forget. Uh, she's in one of the movies. I don't remember which one. I forget exactly. I'm not a huge um, track guy. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna look it up real quick because yeah, I remember. I remember seeing her before and just feeling like Star Trek, but I wasn't sure exactly. Um, hmm. Can't. 
I don't see it. I don't see anything. Oh, she, oh yeah, she was in Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan as a Sabic. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, I'm not a big Trek guy, so I haven't went back to those in years. Yeah, uh, there's some horror episodes in Star Trek. Hmm. If we ever want to tackle tackle like that or like next generation stuff, I think I think that's pretty cool. If we wanted to, well, uh, chat if you would like to see or anybody if you're listening after the fact. If you'd like to see us look at some horror television, uh, post it oh. in the comments. Oh, yeah. Noah, Noah uh, he called it out before I did, like, right before. Oh. So. Thanks, Noah. Sorry we weren't good. paying attention good. to chat. Uh, good, good on the uptake there, Noah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's a very interesting film, and, and at least to my sensibilities, but the, when I say this is, like, un, pure and undis, unfiltered Carpenter... There's kind of a byline that I've noticed in some most of these films is like he's more there for the tension and the horror and a lot of the character stuff kind of gets thrown to the wayside which in some films is fine but like with Christine and this one I wanted more character stuff cuz especially in this movie like the kids weren't scary to me so it's I hard. wanted to yeah. know more about the characters so that like I gave a shit <laughs> Yeah, I liked more of the. Um, I like. I realized that the kids were a bit more scary when there were effects that were kind of overlaying on the face. Towards like, especially in the climax, where they look a lot more alien. Because because then I look at them less and less as child actors, and they are child actors. They're not the greatest, unfortunately, and that's definitely one of the most attracting things about this movie is because the main antagonists are none of them are good actors. And how could any of them be good actors unless any of them are like particularly talented? It's a hard thing to pull off, unfortunately. I don't think he does, and that's why I can see a lot of people not necessarily getting into this film as much as I could, because I saw some more character stuff on the side that I could appreciate, but at the same time, if your antagonists aren't scary and they're supposed to be, that is definitely something that can definitely detract from watching this. So... Yeah. Well, and like, I I think you could fix that problem maybe now because I feel like kid actors have gotten at least marginally better nowadays. Depends um, on where you look, but yeah. Now so. this isn't a hundred percent, but and maybe make them a little bit older, like mid, you know, early to mid teens. Like, I hate to compare it to this, but this this is obviously like the go to comparison, like the first season of Stranger Things. Kids those age because those kids are all good actors. Yeah. Um, it just depends on casting. It just depends on the sort of attention that's given. John Carpenter probably could. He would need some help. He needs he needs someone who understands a bit more with dialogue, I think, and and not not just monologue, but actual dialogue, because mm -hmm. that's never been John Carpenter's strong suit with that sort of thing. He knows how to do things that are a bit serviceable. And you do Just get some, enough to get the, do, like, the plot going, yeah. I think you do get some good stuff in in this movie, but you need to do a lot more of it if you're going to compensate for the child actors in the movie. Well, and like uh, Christopher Reeve's character, I think, is quite fleshed out, uh, at least enough for me to like him. Um, although, I don't understand why... And this goes into another problem I had with this movie, is I could not tell how much time was supposed to have passed. Because... 
the kids seem to be the only ones aging, and I know that part of that's just like it's the same actors. But like, are they rapidly aging because they're part alien? Is this over the course of a few years? Um, because like I... you have that weird scene at him with him before the end of the finale, the f- end of the fight, where um, he kisses that woman, that other woman, the single mom. Sure. But because we're not established any kind of like time frame, to me, his wife died like ten minutes ago, or twenty minutes ago. Yeah, that's uh, that's Jill McGowan, uh, played by Linda Kozlowski, is what you're talking about. And for me, I th- for me, I thought it was a a year a year um, by year passing kind of thing. I don't think they were rapidly aging, and I think it works better if it if it's not rapidly aging because you definitely need more time to justify how the town goes from accepting to very hostile pretty quickly. And I mean, you're probably, yeah. And I mean, you're probably right, but the idea of them being aliens opens that question up. And then I can't stop thinking about it during the movie. Yeah. Sometimes it's harder to, I'll say, I'll say this, something which Carpenter can improve on is sometimes use the fade in. Kind of, kind of technique with cutting between some of your uh, some of your shots and some of your scenes, especially if you want to show the passage of time. And even... you don't, and we don't really get a lot of that, if any of that, in this movie. Or even and... just have like a bit of dialogue, like, "Oh, it's been you know five years since this event happened." I personally prefer more of the cinematography being able to speak for itself. But yeah, if you have to do it that way, sure. And we didn't really get either of that, so I can see how it's confusing. Um, sometimes it's just, I saw another movie recently that had this problem where apparently like I was like, apparently the fact that I guessed it and others didn't while they were watching it was a movie called, uh, your name, which was an anime movie. And there was another issue of in that scene, there was a portion where we had the initial reaction to the event. Not going to describe the movie too fully to those who they'll just go very quickly. And we get from one scene to the next, and it's a quick cut. And it's supposed to be implied that it's it's a it's a, like a long passage of time, but it's not communicated very well in the movie because the cinematography doesn't speak for itself, and the characters don't say it. So you have a double problem there. Um, yeah, for those who like your name, no problem. It's actually a very well filmed movie, aside from that instance for me. That's that can be a very confusing situation for people because if you're looking at the camera and, like, and the camera's not telling you, and the characters don't tell you either. What do you do? It's like yeah. you get confused. Um, I don't think it was as confusing in this movie, but we definitely sometimes there are portions where I feel like Carpenter has done better jobs with the camera work. This movie suffers a little bit. It gets better towards the end. But in certain portions where it gets slower, sometimes the camera work just feels a little lazy sometimes. Well, and let me just say that this and In the Mouth of Madness do not like binge well together. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of where I'm at with the movie. I, I definitely need a rewatch to cement my feelings on it, but obviously didn't have time. Um you're getting you're getting our first impressions, folks. First impressions. That's, that, I might, that's what this podcast is for. I might go and part. do like a revisited review at some point. It would be just a real short, like this is what I think this time. 
But I, I'm not going to do that every time I watch a movie. Like, that's insane. <laughs> the software uh, game because uh, the day ghost isn't here. Yeah, I know. It feels, it feels empty without, without Austin. Yeah. Um, I'd say don't tell him I said that, but it's it's recorded on YouTube. Yeah, he's gonna see it anyway. <laughs> well, and if you'll he watches know, the so channel, and you'll know, you'll hear, you'll listen, you'll see it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so any any final thoughts before we move on to rating, and if we would watch it again? Final rate. Um, hmm. Uh, it's 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 weird because um. I don't want to like rag on child actors too much, especially since the main crux of this whole idea is, you know, nature versus nurture, and you kind of have to show children. So maybe John Carpenter was doing the best of what he could at the time. It's a shame, though, that sometimes the concept that you're very driven towards can, it just hangs itself sometimes, if just certain portions of it are just flawed from the design. So it's. I don't want to rate the movie too badly because of that and detract too many points from it, but at the same time, the main yeah, crux of points from it. Yeah. That's my thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, I mean, to me, this, this reminded me a lot of Christine and the stuff that I didn't like and the stuff that I did like. Um, and on my initial letterbox review, I was a little harsh on this movie. Um, but in all honesty, talking with you, I, I am going to kind of raise my score up a little bit. To be honest, I gave this a one star. Uh, Ooh, wow. You really didn't like this. Yeah. But uh-huh. talking about it kind of, kind of raised it up a little bit. I'm going to go with the two out of five. I believe that's what I gave Christine. Hmm. Um, but I would watch it again just to, and when I'm in a better mood and like the mood to watch something like that, to see if the issues that I had were just from that viewing or if, they're really there in the film for me. Um, what would you give this out of five? Uh, I'll, hmm. mm. There's a lot of stuff I really like in this film, but at the same time, the fact that it was there made me want more. And sometimes that works, and sometimes it doesn't. It, it's tough. Sometimes I can be a bit more critical than you can be, but you're already very critical in this by your own, and you have good reason to be. I think I think I'm going to give it a three out of five. That's what I think I'll do for this one. Okay. Um I'd still say I'd still recommend it for people to watch. It's definitely an interesting pick if you want to see certainly one of the movies with with Christopher Reeve in the nineties before his you know, his life took a drastic turn. And, I get it. and see it with Luke Skywalker in it as well. It's definitely an interesting novelty, at least for that alone. I think I, I, think I sent it to Austin. Yeah. Uh, but I was looking at this movie uh, before we move on to the next movie. Because you, you saying something you said reminded me. Um, one of the reviews on Vudu, because I, I purchase and rent all of my movies through Vudu, the digital movie service. Shout out to Vudu, uh, I guess. Yeah. Shout out to them if you want digital movies. But they also post like Rotten Tomato reviews. One of the reviews was not bad, but Superman deserved a better send off before his paralysis. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Even after seeing the movie, I like, I don't know. That just seems weird to me. It's it's a sad thing. Um, R.I.P. Christopher Reeve. Yeah, he 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 gives a good performance. He 
he gets a he's emotionally invested in this. Um, um, yeah, and we, I mean, of course, wanted to see a bit more from him before that. Then certainly, I'll, I'll take what I can get. I, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of those Superman movies, just because I haven't seen them since I was a teenager, and those were not my style as a teenager. Uh, but he's quite good in Smallville. I don't know if you've ever seen the episodes with him in it. I have. Uh, but I think that was like uh, that was like his final acting gig before he passed, mm-hmm. uh, and he's quite good in that. All right, so next, our next film, the mouth in the mouth of madness, and this is interesting because we talked about, at least for me, how Village of the Dam doesn't really get the character stuff down packed well enough for me to care about any of them. This movie does because it's so like idea driven. Mm-hmm. I think it has it's the perfect Carpenter film of the ideas are so good that the characters are just enough fleshed out enough that's humane to push the story forward and that's what you're really there for hmm. i'd say the three mains personally but uh depends on how you look at it i suppose whether or not he's an antagonist or a supporting figure or whatever it gets complicated because this is a very idea driven movie certainly yeah yeah and this is perhaps you should summarize it for us john oh man i was thinking about this last night like with how <laughs> just insane this movie is how do you even summarize this? Yeah, how do, you, um, how do you get at this properly without like giving too much away at the start? And just, man. Okay, so yeah. this is about an insurance private invest or an insurance investigator uh, who investigates insurance claims to see if they're fraudulent or not. Is looking for this author Sutter Kane. By the way, do you read Sutter Kane? Do I read Sutter Kane? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. No, I don't. Sorry. Who, who is, is sent claim, sent in to uh, investigate this insurance claim from a publisher uh, publisher's office because their big lead has gone missing, or their big author, big lead. Oh my god, their big their biggest cash cow basically has gone missing. There All sorts come. of weird shit happens, and then it just goes off the rails in the best possible way. So what did you think of In the Mouth of Madness? Here's the thing. I I was okay with it. I think on a rewatch, I'll like it a lot better. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff that I really like about this. It's very idea-driven. The concept, of course, is John Carpenter's fascination with the works written by H.P. Lovecraft, who, whether we like him or not, was a very good writer and understood what he was doing and essentially pioneered a portion of the horror genre that won't, won't be forgotten for a very long time because of the legacy he left behind. He was a very imaginative person and understood how to create a mythos of like dark figures. That was in terms of like mythology and like a lot of different stories, you definitely see a great contrast between how the older way of telling these stories of these larger than life figures, you have those molds there in culture and then you have what H.P. Lovecraft did, and you see how he was playing with the concept. He deconstructed it and made it even darker and understood how that could impact people much more psychologically as characters within these diegetic worlds. With these, If these thick creatures, if these flawed beings were essentially a lot more powerful, a lot more mysterious, as they probably would be, how people would interact with them, it would basically create yeah. these 
very scary situations. And you see that appreciation with Carpenter um, as he writes this movie. It's not like he's ripping off H.P. Lovecraft, but it's very inspired by it. A lot of it is built to the point where even the love quotes are basically straight from H.P. Lovecraft as well. Okay. You get those two. Um, Absolutely. Okay, yeah. so let me ask you this. This is obviously as in his self-proclaimed Apocalypse trilogy, the third film. Do you see why he considers those three films a trilogy? Do you think this stands with The Thing and Prince of Darkness? The Thing is, and this is what perhaps I'm not seeing, I don't think it can be. I think he's wrong because... It gets hard because, especially when trying to summarize this film, and we'll have to get into spoilers eventually for discussing this very critically. So, as we should probably say more often, spoilers. If you haven't seen these films, please do so before you watch these reviews. They're only or, 30 years old. Yeah, they're only 30 years old. Um, but even so, we're going to have to talk about them anyway. And the thing is, we have in these first two stories within the diegetic world, within the thing and the Prince of Darkness, and Prince of Darkness, sorry, remove the article, um, we have situations where in the diegetic world, these things are real. These events are happening. We, these figures have an impact, and there's there are stakes. That stuff is true to a certain extent in this film, but it's not true the same way because especially if we're going to say apocalypse, the thing is in this movie, nothing is really real. Exactly. It is, but only really real to the protagonist because the protagonist himself is being written and the events of the world are technically being written as well. It's a world that's like ours, but it's uncanny Valley like in the fact that, well, technically speaking, everything is real and nothing is real. Because it's it's real to us because we're seeing it through the protagonist's eyes, but then the truth is revealed at the end. I can't really say it's an apocalypse. I don't think it works in a portion of a trilogy because it's like it's us looking at the outside at the end because that's what that's what we see because the truth is revealed to us and the character realizes it and then he he learns to accept it because he, he knows he has to because he has no choice. It's different. I'm going to disagree with you on the sim- on what, on the apocalypse thing because the whole the end of the film is about this his influence and these creatures spreading into the real world. He has essentially written, and this is where it gets confusing, right? Because we find out the, the protagonist, who is wonderfully played by Sam Neill, uh, I love him in this movie. He's great. Sure. He does a good uh, Is the protagonist of his new novel, but he writes it as so that the character comes into the real world, bringing the novel, which then spreads the madness to the real world. It, you saw it as that. I saw it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Because... And this is maybe where I have to see it again to see some more, maybe some of the puzzle pieces were being hidden from me. Because I interpreted it at the end where to say everything that the character experienced up to that point coming into, into the theater, that was all written. 
all of this was pretty much predetermined and pre-planned by Sutter Kane. Where everything that he experiences is basically that. Of course, at the same time, I see some contradictions in that idea in my head, just based on how the world that he was in was functioning. So I'm not sure exactly. I think I need to watch it again to see um, our protagonist's interactions with Sutter Kane, the author. Because we also see we see situations where the thing gets a little muddled because even inside of the the story that Sam Neill is in, he's interacting with Sutter Kane. Even Sutter Kane in the story has to technically be self-referential in the story. Mm-hmm. So then it gets muddled and reality gets funky. So I'm never Here's... really sure. Okay, and, and I can see that reading except for when he leaves the town and he goes back, right? He talks to the publisher, and the publisher tells him that he said that he couldn't find Kane, but he gave him the manuscript. But everything that we have been seeing, if that is in the book, can't also... If that everything we've seen up until that point is the book, then him giving him the manuscript and saying that he couldn't find him has to be either the real world or something else. It could be. We have situations where there's parallel realities going on to a certain degree just based within some of the filmmaking with, like, the blue-green thing and the real-life thing that we see on the bus. We see things like that. I love that scene so much, too. Oh, it's great. It's great. But I feel like I didn't get enough of it, though, so I definitely want to see it again. Um, I don't know. The thing is, I'm, I'm in such a portion where I don't know, and maybe that's what the film is trying to show. Because we definitely see where a lot of a lot of these works are so immersive to people. Which, comparative to H.P. Lovecraft's idea, people were so immersed into this idea with this dark mythos that, to a certain extent, people who delve into so much become so immersed that they they begin to disassociate the the balance between entertainment medium and reality, you know, fiction and nonfiction. And when those lines get blurred, people can adopt very destructive behaviors, especially it, with these certain works that get so um, visceral and uh, mental that they can begin affecting the mind because there is talent that's expressed in the works of Sutter King, a.k.a. H.P. Lovecraft, but of course, the more further and further into darkness that you delve into, it can't, especially if you get into it as a reader, it can affect you negatively. Mm-hmm. It's possible, especially if the author is so talented. So. Well, and the other thing is, because I agree with you that there is some par- there is some reference to parallel dimension. Because the way I read it is from the start of the movie until he leaves that town is the book. Because Sutter Kane says that even at the beginning of the movie, he is the one who sent the guy with the axe to him at the beginning mm-hmm. to set off the motions. But then we get the interaction with the publisher that we mentioned that we never saw. So, and then he finds out that the book has already been released and then the movie's coming out. So some time has passed. We don't know how much, but enough to get film rights to make a movie. Let's say, what, a year to make a movie? Maybe more. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking that, because obviously this is a very meta movie, which 
also goes into just the whole 90s like this is very post scream everything has to be meta but it takes it seriously because it's not playing the meta for humor like something like scream is which i really appreciate in this movie yeah. um but i think that when he leaves the town on the bus cuz it it kind of shows like he's breaking reality it is sutter kane has somehow figured out the way to write his novel to come into the real world and, and this doesn't even make sense while I'm saying it, but that's kind of what I love about this movie because it's just like right. insane to deliver the manuscript for the novel so that it gets read published and read by everyone. Yeah. That's why sometimes I feel like certain things don't make sense because they didn't, they wouldn't work in the didactic world. That's why I feel sometimes is that reality gets funky and now we can't exactly look at anything as truly real in like the diegetic world beyond the diegetic world, so to speak. Because we also have parallel realities thing going on. The character, his visions are getting blurred between the fiction and nonfiction, especially. Well, and it gets trickier as well because every, mm-hmm. every, we don't see anything that like the protagonist either protagonist doesn't. I don't consider Kane the the protagonist because he is very clearly the antagonist to Sam Neill. I'm not sure if antagonist was is the right term exactly. Maybe I mean, not I, the right term, but it's it, it's the term that closely closely fits him. Because Sam Neill is clearly the protagonist, and then you have the secondary mm-hmm. protagonist, which is the woman I can't remember Kyle Kyle Kylie. <laughs> Uh, his name is Trent, and her name is Le, uh, the character's name is Linda Styles. Styles, played, where the hell did I get uh, Kyle? I'm not sure. Uh, played by Julie Carmen, by the way. Um, uh, Sutter Kane is played by uh, Jurgen uh, Punchdown. But yeah, she is or clearly Proc like now, the secondary protagonist until <laughs> until she reads the book. And I love that scene. It's haunting where he comes back to the hotel and she's like. I'm losing me. I'm losing me. So yeah. clearly, like, this book does something to people. But we we only see what the protagonists see. Sure. I, I'm not sure if I would consider her a protagonist so much, whereas I might consider maybe a deuteragonist. Where That's probably get, a get, better word for what yeah. I meant. I guess Sutter King does have to be an antagonist. It's just his, his effect on Sam Neill's life depending on how things are um, in the movie, I guess he's an antagonist or he's some sort of nature figure that's both equal opposing uh, but also equal supporting opposing. Mm-hmm. So it's tough. It's tough to view it in this way. Like the, the lines, the lines between the ideas of good and evil are a bit blurred in this movie, purposely so, because we're not we're not dealing with black and white here. We're kind of dealing with like a, a delving into the gray to a certain degree. But there is an idea, of course, is that we should not be too immersed into these ideas of fancy, a dark fancy, so to speak, that we lose ourselves so much and lose our sense of reality by delving into something that entertains us. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's very, if it comes from a very talented person, it's always good to recognize a healthy boundary. Um, so, since you, yeah. I'm assuming you've got like the, either the IMD page, 
the IMDb or Wikipedia page up. Who got screenwriting credit on this? Because I don't think Carpenter wrote this one. No, it was written by Michael DeLuca. That name sounds really familiar. His, yeah, he's been in, as a writer, he doesn't have a whole lot of credits. He's done a bit of, he's done The Lawnmower Man as a writer, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, this movie, and Judge Dredd, 1995. So he doesn't have a well, whole lot of... Well, this is clearly stuff. his best movie. Yeah, he has not exactly uh, done a lot of stuff. But he has he has been more um, of a producer, both both a co-executive and executive and a regular producer of a lot of other, actually a lot more successful films. We have, like, Under the Silver Lake. We have um, Moneyball as well, Friday Night, The Social Network. He has a lot of credits as a producer. Whether or not I, that is actually him showing any talent or not, I'm not sure. Because we also have him producing the Fifty Shades of Grey trilogy no. too. So it, we we have uh, to got to do Freddy's Dead at some point so you can see that movie. I cannot believe that's the same writer. Yeah, that movie is batshit crazy. Oh, speaking of credits, we should have get to this at some point. Charlton Heston makes an appearance as Jackson Harnlow. The uh, producer, you know, uh, basically, sorry, oh, the, the president of the publishing company. Yep, that is Charlton Heston. Okay. So, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a confession here. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of a single movie I've seen of his, so I didn't even know that. Really? I don't think uh, so. Okay, well, um, I'm gonna rattle off some of those lists then, just for uh, just for John. Uh, the Ten Commandments. Yes. No. Maybe like bits and pieces because my grandma owned that on VHS tape. Ben Hur. No. Nope. Nope. El Cid. Nope. Okay. Uh, Fifty-five Days of Peking. Nope. Uh, Never even heard of the Apes. It's on my list, but I have not. Uh, Soylent Green. Another one that's on my list. Um, that's one of those that's kind of been buried on the list because I know the twist at the end. Okay. But... Well, he's um he's done a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. We also, of course, he's also recognized for his political activism as well. Take what you will from that, but I but he is one of those penultimate actors. I feel, especially with an older cinema. So it does surprise me that you haven't. Seen... Seen he, some of the stuff. It's, uh, yeah, and, and like yeah. I said, he's got a couple yeah. movies like Planet of the Apes, and yeah. I believe he was in that movie, The Omega Man from the seventies. Because apparently, I'm just on a crusade to see like every version of that movie that exists. <laughs> yeah, uh, we also have John Glover as Sepperstein. We have yes, we have David Warner to Bernie Casey. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of big names in this movie too. It. For whatever reason, despite the fact that John Carpenter never really seems to get a lot of great accolades for what he's doing, others sometimes the box office might support him, but the critics won't, he still manages to land a lot of big names, which is, to his credit, it's like, it shows that people understand what he's doing and like him. Um, other people like uh, Will, Wilhelm von Hornberg is here as well. Hayden Christensen makes an appearance as Paperboy. Um, so yeah, we have Hayden Christensen who kind of <laughs> makes his breakout role as a child actor in this movie. 
Um, it's funny you mention him because I, I mentioned Smallville before, but obviously John Glover, in certain circles, is most well known for playing Lionel Luther in Smallville for seven seasons. Sure. And yeah. he's great in that show. Uh, he also, I'm sorry, what? No, no, sorry, go ahead. Uh, he also has a cameo in RoboCop 2. Hmm. Yeah, it's weird how these geeky kind of film things, how the productions of those of that stuff kind of overlaps, certainly. So it's yeah. it's why it's okay to play like six degrees of separation. I also want to give a shout out to, and fact check me on this, but I believe I saw that the special effects were done by Robert Kurtzman. Uh... Hmm. Maybe? Production? Uh, sure. Why not? It wouldn't surprise me if he did. (laughs) (laughs) Do you not see it on there? No, um... Let's see. Um, because the effects in this film are fantastic. Uh, maybe a couple here here and there that haven't aged particularly well, but I don't, I don't think they're bad enough that like they look terrible they're just kind of weird looking but like the pulsating walls and like the monster effects are great uh, yep sorry i i didn't <laughs> see it in the original chris but now i looked up okay robert kurtzman did uh special makeup effects okay in this movie that wow. that's that's where his uh his imprint is one thing i will say about the effects that i did not like um because i don't think it worked very well is when Sutter Kane, towards his last appearance in the movie, starts tearing himself. That's the one thing that doesn't age very well. It's like you get that one effect in every Carpenter film that just hasn't worked in hindsight. And when you look back at it, you can appreciate the attempt, but it but it really ages the film, unfortunately. That that's the one I was thinking of when I said maybe there's one or two that you know. Um, I like that an idea. I don't know what's happening there, but I like it an idea. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, like like I mentioned earlier, Sam Neill's fantastic in this movie. I really like his character a lot, even though there's not much. I don't think on paper there is a lot to that character, but Neil like brings a kind of cynicism and uh, humor almost out of that cynicism that makes that character interesting to watch. Sure. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll credit a lot of the other stuff because, like, all the a lot of the other stuff is great in that movie, except for that one thing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't blame Kurtzman for that. Too much. Oh no, that because so. that's clearly like an early '90s computer effect. Yeah, which, um, which Carpenter is trying to push the limits on because he likes to do that a lot in his films anyway. So, well, and if I remember correctly, Kurtzman is primarily a special effects guy. Uh, but he also directed that film Wishmaster I mentioned on here a couple times that I want to do eventually. That oh, also right. has that problem of almost everything looks great because he's a special effects guy. But there's a couple of things in that movie that can only be done through CGI. And it's low budget 90 slasher CGI. <laughs> so it's unfortunate. Um, a lot of Wishmaster connections in, in Carpenter Month. Yeah. But that, that movie is almost like a love letter to, like, the slasher and horror genre anyway. Certainly. Um, but, yeah, I think this is kind of tying together everything that he's done in other films, kind of, or at least in, like, his monster movies. Apoc- uh, 
both thematically and in his directorial style of these weird ideas brought to screen, a potential apocalypse, you know, grandiose monsters that are beyond the human comprehension. Uh, I think he ties it all together into this movie. And I wouldn't suggest starting with this movie. No, 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 no. This is very much like once you've become accustomed to John Carpenter films. Yeah. But I think this is the ultimate, like, John Carpenter movie. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I would certainly have a lot of reasons to praise this movie. I ne- the thing is, if what I fear is true about this movie in terms of reality, in terms of, like, what is actually happening is true, then I feel like my opinion might sour. At the same time, what you're saying is true then I would probably have my more uh, informed because then I would be, I would understand a bit more of the rules. So I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely Carpenter, definitely pushing the limits of what he's been doing before. So I can definitely see what you're saying. And I can definitely see why other people would like this film. Just certainly. I'm not so sure. It's like the penultimate one. I think that's the thing personally. I think that's that one because I think that's a good summary of what Jordan Carpenter's filmmaking is. And you can also do that one as a first time thing. This one's certainly not. This movie's way too cerebral. This one is way too stylistically uh, coded, I think. You definitely can't get into this on the first one. Don't don't let this be the first Carpenter film that you watch. I, I think so. Because. We've done, let's just be honest. From my understanding, we've done all of his good films. Like, next week is going to be a terrible twosome. I think mm-hmm. if you were going to watch Carpenter, you start with Halloween. For horror, anyway. I can't sure. recommend his earlier, like, action films. I haven't seen those. I didn't like Escape from New York. But I think well, start... yeah. uh, you start with Halloween. That is his most accessible accessible film. Then you go into the thing, because that gets weird, but it's still like, yeah, you can, you can understand what's going on. Then you get into Prince of Darkness because he starts to expand on those ideas more. It starts to get weirder with more out there concepts. Then if you are still with it, you jump into In the Mouth of Madness, and I think that wraps up everything that he started with the thing. Um, we also get they they live. They live is also a good one. Oh, of um, course. You'll probably, probably do. Maybe if you need more uh, popcorn flick kind of stuff, I would probably recommend that. If your brain hurts after In the Mouth of Madness because you're not quite sure what happened, watch, go watch, watch they, they Live. live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, although um, there are there's other stuff that John Carpenter has done. I imagine that's probably good, um, mm-hmm. or at least stuff that he's known by. Um, forget what it was called. Well, you've got oh. stuff like Assault from New- or Escape from New York, which people like. Assault from Precinct and, Thirteen, which I haven't seen. Yeah, um, that, that's one that I yeah. Big Trouble in Little China, but I'm just going on the horror movies since this is a horror channel. Sure. I mean, you could sense. watch Christine, but like, I don't love that movie. Christine is um, Christine kind of stands alone in some ways because I wouldn't credit too much of Carpenter's input on that movie. Yeah. Because he was brought into the towards the last hour, that thing. Obviously, yeah. his best movie is going to be Ghost of Mars. I know very little about those movies. 
I don't even hear anybody talk about them. There's probably a reason for that. Hey, it's got Ice Cube in the lead. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. Yeah. You know, um, I, I will say, I, I love John Carpenter. He's not my favorite horror director. Um, I love all of his movies. I will be kind of glad to move on and like branch out into other other films once this whole thing is done. That's what you do when you do a month of Carpenter. Yeah, we'll we'll do some other event months, but I think it might be a while because I like I like variety. And as much as I wouldn't say any of these films are similar, you watch enough of them and they start to meld together at least in like visual style because it's all Carpenter. Right. Well, before we get too off topic, um, any last thoughts? Um, this is a brilliant way to cap off his horror filmography. Uh, if you were in the mood to watch Carpenter films, don't start with this movie. No. Um, but absolutely watch it. Sure. How would you rate this film? I'm going to give Subject this one a Sunday. 5 out of 5. And I will Ooh. absolutely watch this again. All righty. For me, this is going to be a tentative thing. I'm also going to rate it... I'm going to rate it with what I did the last one as a three. It is subject to change because I need to see a bit more of the puzzle pieces here. But this is just based on the impression that I had. I'm going to say a three because although I can appreciate the acting and I can certainly appreciate the pieces that are set in place, I'm not exactly sure how they fit together because I don't think the film effectively communicated that to me exactly. But anyway, I would watch it again. I would watch it again. And then we'll see what happens. Um, for those that, and I would imagine a lot of audiences might be split on that too. Just there are some people like you who see this who can who can see what it's doing, and they appreciate. Others like me, who might not see as much, and it might pass over their heads a bit. But hey, if you especially like H.P. Lovecraft, you can get into this too. Go for it. I'm also going to throw this out there. If you guys like Sam Neill and you want to see him in other horror films. It's not nearly as cerebral as this movie, but Event Horizon is pretty fun. Oh, uh, yes! Event Horizon is wonderful. I love that movie. He legitimately creeps me out in that movie. Yeah. Um, I was really disappointed because Shout Factory recently released a restored version, or like a remaster, mm-hmm. but they couldn't find any of the lost footage, and like there's a whole thing with chunks of that oh, movie. Oh, shoot. Yeah, that would have been great. Uh... Directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, fun fact. Yeah. Uh, went on to do Resident Evil. Yeah. Which we'll have to do at some point. Someone someone basically just yoinked him and got him into this, and I guess he just was... It's a shame, because he had he could have been something. He could have been something. And then he yeah. decided to be that. Resident Evil guy. An alien versus Predator. It, su- it sucks, because... Event Horizon was like a great place for him to jump off into a great career. Yeah. It wasn't like the best film, but it it worked. I you know what? I'll say it. I say I think it's a great film. I think Event Horizon is a great horror film. I think it's a good horror film. It probably would have been even better with that restored footage. Yeah, probably. But I guess we'll have to take what we can release get. The, I guess. Release the Anderson cut. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking I'm, I'm going to say it. I know this isn't a horror. This isn't horror related, but I'm excited for that Snyder cut. Why? I, I mean, I love are, BVS. Aren't you jaded to it? This sort of thing by this point. 
Batman v Superman is one of my favorite DC movies. I don't get you sometimes, subject. I don't. I don't get you, John. Sometimes, but hey, you see things a different way. We certainly don't need two people to see these movies the same way. <laughs> we need to. We need to create cast a wide net for these things. But, and Man of Steel is my favorite Superman movie. Hmm. But I do need to re- revisit the Reeves movies because I haven't seen those since I was a teenager. When I was a teenager, it's like this is dumb. These are like cheesy and look bad. I don't think Superman has been in his best with live action, and I think a lot of the DC properties have been done a lot better in the animated departments. Oh, I'll agree with that. Like, yeah, Batman think, Superman yeah. isn't my even my favorite Batman movie, but it's like I love that movie, and I was I was one of those ones that went into Justice League. Like, I want to know what happens next, and then we got Justice League. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a lot better. We'll see. Everyone's saying it's better. Well, well, I don't know. I don't know, but this is not the podcast for that. Um, But if we want to talk about horror, I guess we can talk about industry horror, but that's a different subject, (laughs) technically. But I do want to cover his remake of Dawn of the Dead at some point, because that's quite good. Yeah. Written by uh, James Gunn, fun fact, or at least partially. Yeah. I know he was involved in that movie. But, um, but you had all, mentioned that there was something that you wanted to bring up that was... Well, I mean, all in all, we really do just want John Carpenter to just make new stuff, make some new IPs. He really does just need someone who's passionate and directed enough just to, you know, give him a nice idea to work with. Like mine. Maybe. I like to think of this as a pitch meeting in a way, John. <laughs> See There's a new think. video series for you. Oh, boy. Yeah. Now we're ripping off Screen Rant. We're hacks. <laughs> I was like, well, let's not let's not rip off too much of it. But this idea came up just because it's St. Patrick's Day. And sometimes a lot of these um, things of like taking these real-life events and then twisting them in a horrible new situation to so just try to make money off of them. And we don't have a lot of St. Patrick's Day movies. So I was thinking, looking at the back of this with all my new experience in John Carpenter stuff, this is how I look at John Carpenter movies and how John Carpenter could perhaps make his own version of the story of St. Patrick's Day. We'll title this Big Snakes in Little Ireland, the totally true story of St. Patrick. <laughs> um, I'm thinking uh, we start the movie off of a dream broadcast of snakes with large glowing eyes. We're not exactly too sure of the context, but this uh, character played by an aging Kurt Russell, you know, we don't want to de- we don't want to de-age him, we just want to cast him. We bring we bring him in and he looks out the door and sees a shining light that goes towards the coast of Ireland as if like a zoomed in vision. Right around the time when he's distracted, he's kidnapped, and he's sold into slavery. And and, sold, and while being sold into slavery on that ship, he goes on the ship and he's taken to Ireland. From there, he's bid on someone who outbids a lot of other people to basically bring him in as a slave. The One of these people that was re- responsible for... Uh, Basically, making him a slave was one of the priests of the Catholic Church. 
and you see the Catholic, the Catholic priest being a little irked by the fact that Patrick has managed to actually get sold as a slave into this certain person. Because the slave master treats him rather well. But of course, still treats him as a slave. All things are not great for Patrick, but they're at least livable until Patrick comes across a snake. The snake tries to do something, tries to entrance him, and actually bites him, and Patrick starts convulsing. He then, at this point, his master begins to try to help him, and seems to hear some weird guiding voice telling him, pluck out the eyes of the snake, then pluck out Patrick's eyes, and put in the snake eyes into Patrick's head. Wacky idea, but it somehow works. And now Patrick has this new vision to see things in a way that no one else can see. And seems to see now the snakes and certain people in a certain light that he hasn't before. These snakes aren't real snakes. They're aliens! Apparently the aliens came into Ireland. And <laughs> this is where the idea kind of gets really wacky. Where the idea That's is... where the idea got wacky, not <laughs> transplanting snake eyes into a human. <laughs> but yes, the snakes in Ireland are basically they've basically been implanted with alien DNA, and now these are basically snake aliens who sometimes bite people to to basically zombify a lot of these seafarers into trying to basically, from Ireland, conquer the entire world. But Patrick does manage to escape, his master now freeing him and realizing the, his ways. Freeze him. Uh, we'll cast him as, um, I don't know, what, what's a good casting, I think, for an older man? Who are you Perhaps selling this to? The Asylum? Uh, how about Blumhouse? No, this is like <laughs> Asylum level. <laughs> Um, whatever. In any case, Patrick manages to go back to, to escape back to England, goes away from the snakes, and actually takes revenge on the Catholic priest, who is also revealed to be a snake person. Reptilians. They're all pulling the strings behind the church and whatnot, but there are some church members of the church who realize what's going on, and they side with him. But Patrick, being rather weary makes an effort to say, I will never go back to Ireland at all. But then he has a dream, and the broadcast comes back again a bit clearer that tells him, you must go back to Ireland. You must banish the snakes and destroy them. Patrick Patrick is then brought back. Uh, we'll cast Keith David in one of the Catholic priest roles just because he's a, he's a wandering uh, bishop from Africa because those were around at the time. And, and both Keith David and Kurt Russell as St. Patrick and Maywin Sucket will go back to Ireland and in a lot of action sequences, both entrance and fight the snakes as St. Patrick uses his new uh, glowing eye power to entrance the snakes and gather them all. And eventually... He manages to get them all, goes into a big fight with one of the bigger ones, puts the snakes on a boat with Keith David valiantly sacrificing himself. The boat goes offshore, and with so much saltpeter and whatnot, the boat blows up in spectacular fashion. 
St. Patrick has banished all the snakes from Ireland. And people, we go into with a last minute scene at the end of thousand years later or thousands of years later to present time where people celebrate St. Patrick's Day with, um, you know, booze as well as understanding that he banished the snakes from Ireland and all the great days with St. Patrick when we hear a bit of slithering <laughs> in the credits. And that'll be the movie. You're fired. (laughs) That was like Darknado level of what the fuck is going on. Yeah, that's how I look at a Carpenter movie, I guess. Trying to get so many different ideas into one. Oh, I want you to pitch that to Austin since Carpenter's his favorite director. That's why I was hoping he was here, but he's not. Yeah. So I'll I'll say it again. I'll clean it up. I'll, this is a first rough draft pitch. So Okay, so here's some advice for the next draft. Get rid of all of that you just said. <laughs> Start over. Ah, <laughs> uh, caramba. All I right. Mean, a lot of what I was using is, some of it was like real stuff that actually happened to it, but then just horribly exaggerated. Okay, so I think that is going to be it for us tonight. Um, Milton, are you doing anything tomorrow? Um, I don't know. Let's find out. Let's talk about it after the podcast. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, I will post on Twitter if we are able to get together tomorrow night uh, for a gaming stream. So make sure if be sure to follow us on Twitter uh, and Instagram. The links are in the channel description. Uh, we appreciate you guys being here, as well as, like I said... The first two parts of the new Days Gone Let's Play are out. It's just me by myself, edited down from a Twitch stream. But hopefully I'll get, you know, Milton or Day Ghost uh, there. It's just hard to get all three together outside of the norm, normal Wednesday. Um, but yeah, thank you for, for coming and hanging out. You know, uh, you and Austin are both integral parts of the of this show now. Absolutely. Thank you, man. For, <laughs> and we appreciate uh, everyone who came by and either commented or subscribed or liked. Uh, we couldn't do this without you guys. And we will be back next Wednesday. Have a wonderful night. Thank you Talk for watching.